Last week we finished our study of James, and a blessed time it was going through that book together. Stay tuned for an announcement of a new study coming up, Uh, but today we are in the Old Testament. We're in the book of Psalms, Psalm 57. This past week was an interesting time. This past Wednesday, at our nation's capital, an angry crowd of protesters turned into a mob that stormed into the halls of Congress, something that none of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. All of you have seen the images, you've read the accounts, you've seen the news stories, it's on our minds. Regardless of where you fall in the spectrum uh, politically, and I mean truly regardless, there's something deeply disturbing about what happened this week. And if the political tensions aren't enough, we continue to move through a time of true pandemic that has actually even accelerated in recent weeks. It's causing great distress among a great many people. And for all of us, we continue to endure what can feel like a hostage situation. Now getting close to a year of these very intense measures to try to abate the virus's spread. We've heard the word a lot this last year, the unprecedented times that we're in, but but nothing else is suitable. It truly is unprecedented. What are we as Christians to think about all of this? What should we be doing in response to these trials that are before us, undeniably? Well, the good news is when we look to God's Word, we're reminded that God's people have faced innumerable number of crises ever since the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. How have God's people responded to the calamity that we've faced throughout the ages? Well, we're grateful to learn that the Scriptures give us insight into this question. And in fact, the Scriptures do a whole lot more than this. By God's sovereign design, the Bible teaches us how we can overcome the trials of this life, whatever they might might be. We do so by finding refuge in the Lord, by worshiping even in the darkness, and by holding on and moving forward in our mission. In Psalm 57, David was in a genuine crisis. That's not overselling it. It surely was a crisis. But it was through this period of tribulation that he faced that he offers us a picture of refuge that is to be found in God. And it's there that he shows us how the the praise and proclamation of God's people presses forward even through the darkest hour. I've titled this message, Refuge in the God of All the Earth. Would you please look at Psalm 57 with me and begin reading in verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge, till the storms of destruction have passed by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to to shame those who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. 
I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. There are three truths that I want us to hear from this text this morning. Number one, God is a refuge in times of trouble. David was in the midst of a crisis. It was a life or death situation, nothing less. He was on the run. He was a fugitive from the state, from the kingdom because of of King Saul. And if you'll glance actually at the very top of the chapter, there's a sort of a modern uh, title that's given there, sort of a topic. But if you look, there's in all caps in most modern translations, you'll see here that actually the text tells us, there's an ancient script here given to us that tells us the setting of this psalm. David wrote this psalm, it tells us, when he was on the run from King Saul. He describes his sense of crisis poetically. Look at verse 4, he says, My soul is in the midst of lions. It's poetic language. I, I lie down amid fiery beasts. In other words, this is a desperate situation. He feels like he could be consumed at any moment. Saul might arrive at any moment with an army to take him captive, to kill him. I mean, can you imagine being on a run? Again, it's not just the physical of it. I mean, the the emotional, the spiritual, the mental um, difficulty that would go along with this. Can you imagine trying to sleep at night? I mean, you're in terror all day. He's hiding out in a cave. And then can you imagine trying to sleep at night? The terror of the thought of any moment, the enemy coming. There's no relief. That's what David's going through. And this is not just a day or two. This goes on for weeks and months. David truly was in a frightening situation. But sometimes the terror that we face, although there is a sense of real danger, there's also a lot that can be in our mind. There's a name for it. In modern terms, we call it anxiety. We, we might be facing a genuine challenge, but the struggle of anxiety just sort of amplifies it to epic proportions. In addition to the real danger that David faces, he has to suffer through the emotional weight here of betrayal. He's done nothing wrong, and yet Saul has betrayed him out of jealousy. And he's faced with these charges of injustice against him. He's an enemy of the state while he's on the run. John Calvin brings that out. He says, David encountered no heavier trial than the false and slanderous charges which were leveled against him by his enemies. Without a doubt, we are facing a crisis in the form of this ongoing pandemic. And then just add to it the stress, the political strife that our nation is facing. These these are strange times. As a church, we have ongoing decisions to make as we seek to be faithful to our calling while also considering the safety and well-being of our people. Faith does not cancel out the need for wisdom. I mean, for instance, we see here David. David is going to take the precautions that he needs to preserve his life. That's not the point. But throughout all of this, we must never forget that God Almighty is our refuge. We are never without hope. We are never without comfort, regardless of what we face in this life. David found refuge in the Lord 3,000 years ago. This is 1,000 years before Christ was born. Three millennia ago. And yet the same God speaks to you and speaks to me today and says, Come all who are weary and I will give you rest. It is in the midst of his trial that David found refuge in the Lord. And in verse 1 here, the very beginning of our passage, we're given this poetic picture of 
this image of God's protection in the form of wings. Wings that would cover one in distress. Simultaneously, it's a picture of protection and of comfort. And David cried out to God in verse 2. Listen, as, as long as we continue in this life, I mean, obviously we hope for better things as, as the months go by. We hope for better things this year. But we will never be without the need to cry out to God. And He will always be there to hear us. And David shows us how we can do so. W.S. Plummer, a, a historic commentator, says, whether it be famine pestilence or war, whether it be foes without or fears within, whether it be at sea or land, whether it be in sickness or health, our great need is mercy from the Lord. Do you cry out to God when you face crisis? In the midst of the troubles that we're facing now, are you crying out to God in prayer? I mean, this should be our first instinct, Christians. I mean, our first instinct should be to turn to the Lord when we face trials. And yet so often we instead wallow in fear, wallow in self-pity. It's so easy for us to do that. Rather than finding refuge in the Lord, we often fall into that. And it's not only as individuals, we need to think about this collectively even as a church. We should cry out to God in the midst of our trials. We should be a people of prayer that is where our strength lies. You know, one, what can, could become depressed looking out and seeing so many empty pews, seeing empty Sunday school classrooms? Trust me, if it's weird from your perspective, it's even more weird being up here and seeing it. It's strange. And yet our future is in the hands of a good and gracious God. And He welcomes us to find refuge in Him. He welcomes us to put our faith in Him. God is faithful to sustain His people through their trials. In verse 3, David announces that God sends out His steadfast love. So this image of it proceeding from heaven. And then down toward verse 7, he says, Now my heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart, he repeats it, is steadfast. As you look out at the pandemic, as you look at our national scene, Maybe you have your own trials in your life that are equally as heavy, if not more. Whatever you're facing, is, is your heart steady before the Lord? Or do you find yourself worn down and burdened with despair? If anyone had an excuse, if anyone would rightly be in despair and wallow, I mean, we could imagine it would be someone like David. He's sitting in the mud of a cave, fearing for his life. And yet he says, my heart is steadfast. You can find strength in the Lord today. Look to Him. Call out to Him. This means that, that we need to place our faith in the Lord. There's an active sort of trust that we put in Him. Again, it's not some sort of uh, thing where we pretend that all is well and ignore our problems. David is not in denial here. Listen to his language. He's not in denial. And yet there's a sense that he is actively putting his trust in God. And as he does that, he says, My heart is steadfast. While David sits as a fugitive in a cave, he says in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. He's singing? I mean, really? From a cave? David found strength and stability in the Lord. David's enemies were plotting against him, but notice that God prevents them from harming him. 
In fact, they, they fall into their own pit. They're, they're digging a pit. And again, this is poetic language. They're, they're trying to, to have some means to where David would ultimately be culpable, but ultimately they fall into it themselves by God's own providence and protection. Through the Holy Spirit, we're, we're given these words for our own strengthening. These words are for you, Christian. W.S. Plummer, the same commentator, he says that David committed these words to the church and to believers for all ages that we might make, might make use of them in our own times of opposition and persecution. Take comfort in the psalmist's words. May the Holy Spirit use them to draw you closer to God even through this time of trial and trouble. Take them as a source of strength and of comfort in these strange days that we're in. When David speaks of steadiness in verse 7, it's actually in the context of readiness for worship. He's saying, I am ready, I am, I am uh, eager to worship. But David here reminds us then of this profound truth. And that leads us to number two. God's glory shines even in times of trouble. The darkness of David's trial could not hide the light of God's glory. Even in the darkest hour, David worshipped the God of heaven. Look at verse 5. Right here, and you even notice this right in the middle of this discussion of how difficult things are. He says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Church, this is what faith looks like. Faith worships even through the darkness. Faith is not some sort of uh, illusion you know, where we, we, we just believe and try to pretend as if there is no difficulty. No, but it is even through the darkness that we worship. Even in the midst of crisis, David broke out and praised here. In verse 7, he says, I will sing and make a melody, as we just read. This actually reminds me of Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, they sing unto the Lord in Acts 16, verse 25. The text tells us that it was midnight. Again, this is before modern electricity. This is midnight. If it's midnight, it's dark in there. And even in this physical darkness, even in the sort of uh, emotional and, and spiritual difficulty of sitting in a prison as innocent men, they sit there and this is what the text says in chapter 16, verse 25. It says that they were singing hymns to God. And then it adds this important little clause, and the prisoners were listening to them. What is stunning about this is both the idea that these men would be singing songs of worship from a dark prison cell, but also the witness that that provided to the others in the prison. Just people are always watching. Always. What does your life say to the watching world? As they, as they observe you, how you're responding to the political crisis, how you're responding to the virus, how you're responding to all these different trials that you might have in your life, the death of a loved one, all these different things that we face. Do your friends and your neighbors see something compelling in your example, or do they see you as just one of, you know, as them also, likewise, absolutely burdened with fear and trepidation? Again, Paul and Silas are not in denial here. They're not somehow as if Buddhism would sort of have them escape and pretend that they're sort of in another world. No, no. And neither is David in denial. They see the situation for what it is. But their trial did not halt their praise. These trying times that we are in give us a profound opportunity to be an example, to model our faith to our friends and neighbors, family members. They are watching. 
There's a connection here between finding refuge in God and this impulse to worship the Lord. Even in the darkest hour, David exalted God in songs of praise. In the early 3rd century, 200 or 201 was the year, there was a Christian woman named Perpetua. She and, and a few other Christians were imprisoned for their faith. They knew that they would face certain death if they refused to deny Christ. That's all it would take when the Romans persecuted you for religion. If you just denied your God, offered an offering to their emperor, to their God, you were good. You could be released. They knew that this was the case. They would face death if they did not deny Christ. And yet they worshipped together in a jail cell in Carthage in North Africa. The gloom of a jail cell could not stop them from gazing upon the glory of God that led them to worship. In this instance, days later, they were martyred for their faith in an arena before uh, pagan spectators that ultimately cheered for them as they were killed. And yet even in this, and that sounds really dark, doesn't it? And it is. Yet even in this, God was glorified as they entered into eternity and received the crown of life. Great is their reward. David praises again, beginning in verse 7. Uh, at the end of verse 7, rather, I will make a melody. Uh, I will sing and make a melody. Awake my glory, he says in the next verse. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Such a stirring moment here. I like the way one commentator says it, that David was saved to sing. As you look out at a pandemic and a troubling political scene, have you continued to worship even through the darkness? Even in this uncertainty, have you continued to praise God with your, with your life, with your, with, your, with your own proclamation, with your singing with the saints, through your prayers? If we fail to worship, the, the loss is not God's. He's not in any way limited by that. The loss is ours. Find refuge in the Lord and see that God's glory shines forth even through the darkness. When we're gathered together in corporate worship, or whether we're worshiping on our knees at home in, in the privacy of our bedroom, praise the Lord in these uncertain times. When you do, God's glory will light the way. If David can sing praises from a cave, how can we let masks and blue tape and social distancing, how can we let those things dampen our worship? How can we let those things discourage us? Paul and Silas worshipped in, a, in a dark, the darkness of a, of a prison cell. How can we let these circumstances take away from glorifying our Lord? Church, even, even if new measures would, would mean that we are limited in, in more extreme ways, even limited from meeting for a time, even if that were the case, we don't know the future. We can't let that stop our worship. Even if so, if we put sort of the pandemic aside, even if a fire were to take our building, even if some extreme natural disaster were to take our building, we can't let that stop our worship. We don't cease to be a church, and neither should we cease to worship the King of all glory. After expressing the nature and the depth of his troubles and after demonstration of, of worship in the, in the midst of these troubles, David concludes with an astonishing declaration of God's mission to make his name great, even to the ends of the earth. That leads to number three, God's mission proceeds even in times of trouble. Look at verse nine with me. 
I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Even in the midst of trials, David's heart was stirred to proclaim God's glory to the nations. Not only privately, but to proclaim it to others. There's a connection here between David's impulse to worship and his vision to make God's name great among the nations. This is the work of missions. The New Testament takes psalms like this and applies them to the mission of proclamation to the nations in the Great Commission. Romans 15.9 cites one of the psalms, I believe it's Psalm 18, and it says this, it says, As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. David had learned to worship God even in the midst of his trial. And this leads him then to hold up the mission of God. David recognized God's heart to be known throughout all of the earth. We recently concluded our Lottie Moon offering of international missions as we were citing this morning. What, what awesome news. I'm thrilled that we not only made our goal but exceeded it. Church after months of pandemic, we could have made excuses to say, oh, maybe, maybe we don't need to do that, or maybe we don't need to make a big deal about Lottie Moon. We could have taken an approach to sort of pull back and pull in. We better circle the wagons here. This is a, a strange and uncertain time. But the mission must go forward. We must not shrink back. With David, we should say, I will sing praises to you among the nations. Let your glory be over all of the earth. This is the work of missions. With these words, David proclaimed God's mission back to him in verse 11. It's, it's sort of that, that same idea of when it's that satisfying feeling when you've mentored someone and they grow to embody those values that you have shown to them, that you have taught them. God takes pleasure when his people embrace the values that he himself puts before us. David held on to confidence that God would Fulfill his mission, his purpose. There, there's sort of a sense in David, this defiance against God's enemy that nothing would stop the spread of his glory. David became grounded by knowing that God, will, that his glory would fill all the earth and nothing will stop it. But notice, he's also confident for God's plans in himself. Look at verse 2. He says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me or in me. God has a purpose for you. If you are alive, if you are still on this earth, God has a purpose for you. And life's trials that we face, they, they don't negate that purpose. Keep looking to Christ. Be faithful and he will fulfill his purpose in you. In the Old Testament, we find this key theme that God would give David a son who would forever reign on his throne. And so as we arrive in the New Testament, the gospel writers really speak in unison that Jesus is this son of David who will reign over God's people forever. Even for them to think about that, how can that be that one man would reign forever? Well, David found his hope in the God of all glory but who could have imagined the way that God would fulfill this promise to David by sending his own divine son 
who took on human flesh in the incarnation. It's profound what we see here in the scriptures. And we find that it is in Jesus, in Jesus alone, that we find our eternal refuge, our rescue from the final enemy, which is death itself. If you are not faithfully following after Christ, then you don't have a source for refuge in this life or in the next. Jesus welcomes all who will come to him if they will repent and if they will believe in him. Romans 8.38 offers us these comforting words of hope. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our great hope for those who are in Christ. But it is only for those who are in Christ. We must look to Christ. Even in these uncertain times, these strange times that we're in, let us find refuge in our God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we, we should not let trials dampen our worship. God's glory shines even through the darkness and it lights our way. We must not step back from our mission. Even if we have to be really creative and take new ways that we can find this and we can move forward, yet we must not pull back from our mission. We must move forward. Regardless of what the next six months look like, regardless of what the next year looks like, and only God knows, let us move forward with confidence in our God. He will fulfill His purpose. Let's pray. Our Lord, as we take this opportunity for a time of invitation and response, Lord, however we need to respond individually, Lord, I pray that you would just bring that to bear on the hearts of those who are here. Lord, I pray your hand of comfort would be over each and every one and, and over those who are not here, God, those who are not able to be with us. Lord, I pray that we would find our refuge in you. Lord, I pray that we would be strengthened to worship you, God, even through our trials, even through the dark times. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church collectively, but as individuals as well, God, that we would be strengthened, Lord, to move forward in the mission that you've given us to make disciples of all peoples, God. I pray, Lord, your blessing over Starnes Cove Baptist Church in each one. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. To conclude our service, we have a prayer from one of our deacons, from Jeremy Merrill. Here he is, Jeremy, if you would come and close. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you this morning with thankfulness for your, for your presence, Lord, and your blessings and your comforting. And Lord, we thank you for this church. But Lord, we ask you a special prayer for our nation, our nation's leaders, that your wisdom and, and guidance will be, uh, be available and, and used in decisions that they may make uh, for this nation, Lord. Uh, but most of all, Lord, we ask for the courage and wisdom and knowledge uh, that we may take this, this message that we've received this morning and apply it to our lives and have the opportunity, Lord, to expand your kingdom throughout this week, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.